It's me, the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I want to welcome you to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified to the city of New York and all the world. We are currently in our season of stewardship, and if these podcasts have meant anything to you, we'd encourage you to make a one-time or reoccurring gift to the parish. You can support us by visiting calstg.org backslash give. Thank you for your generosity. My friends, on this All Saints Sunday, we are reminded of a truth that Christians have proclaimed from the very beginning. It's a very simple truth, and it goes like this. Death is the enemy. Death is not a natural part of life. Death is not something we come to accept. No. Death is the enemy. When St. Paul writes about sin and death, he's not primarily writing about individual sins and your death. What he is talking about is the powers of sin and death. Fleming Rutledge, my favorite person on the planet, makes this very clear in her writing by whenever she talks about sin and death, she capitalizes them. Capital S, sin. Capital D, death. Sin and death are personified as powers. And I think we see this. All of our language about systematic this, about oppression that, sees that Sin and death are more than things that we do. They're more than things that we should avoid. It's more than mourning the loss of a loved one. Sin and death are very real. That is why in the Old Testament lesson we see that death will forever be swallowed up. That is why in the book of Revelation we see that capital D, death, will be no more. Death is a threat to purpose, imagination, value, and value systems. This is what the Hebrews thought about death. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. A childhood friend told me not too long ago that he will never have children. A happy thought as we baptize a children to a child here today. But he told me he would never have children because he would never want to bring into the world a person who would experience the existential dread that he feels. He felt that he would be doing that child a disservice So he forever swore off having children. I think we understand this when we get angry about the fact that over 750,000 people have died of COVID in a year and a half. In fact, when I was home over this past weekend for my mother's birthday, I found out that my youth pastor, who is five years older than me, died of COVID not last year, but last month. Five years older than me, COVID took his life. 
A lot of times when we think about death, we think of someone falling dead, which of course is terrible. But I think we see the power of death more acutely in our friends who have dementia. My grandmother has dementia. She was a nutritionist. She has eaten well her entire life. In fact, she did New York Times crossword puzzles every single day so that she wouldn't get dementia. And yet she has had dementia for 15 years. Now when I visit her, she doesn't remember anything after 10 seconds. My friends, death is the enemy. Maybe you know someone who has cancer or who has had cancer. You see what cancer does to the body, reaping havoc, the slow deterioration. Or maybe you see those who are successfully treated from cancer, but the very thing that saved the body from cancer was destroying the body. My friends, the reason why Jacob Smith says time and time again, don't say that person passed away, say that they died. He says that because we Christians are not in the business of death denial. Though everyone else is, we are not. We are not to sugarcoat it. More importantly, we are not to make peace with it. Death is an enemy. And the good news of the gospel, the message that the church proclaimed from the very beginning, is that this enemy has been overcome. That death itself has been conquered. That the same word who said in the beginning, let there be light, is the word who says in our text, Lazarus, come forth. So what's going on in our gospel lesson? This is a passage that many of you who probably had no church background at all are familiar with. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are Jesus' best friends outside the group of 12. If you're familiar with the Gospels at all, you know that the one place other than on the mountain with God where Jesus finds peace, it is with these three friends. And yet here, he finds no peace at all. He comes to them and Mary falls down at his feet in grief. Martha says, if, Lord, you had only been here, you could have done something about this. And this is usually when we remember that the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. We love this passage because our Lord identifies with us in our weakness in this passage. We see Jesus, the God-man, like one of us, weeping over the prospect of the death of his friend. Only the commentators say that We've got it all wrong. That's not actually what's happening here. And if you read it closely, I think that they're right. And if you know Greek, which I know very, very little about, I won't pretend to be a Greek scholar, it's even more clear there. What do we see over and over in this text? Jesus comes to his friends. He hears Lazarus is dead. And what does it say? He is deeply disturbed in spirit. It says it not once, but twice. And he doesn't weep until he's disturbed. 
and the Greek scholars, they say that this word disturbed is more akin to anger than just fear. Why is Jesus angry here? They say for two reasons. The first, we see throughout the Gospels, right? The disciples have no idea what he's up to. Even when Peter gets it half right, you are the Messiah. He gets it completely wrong when he says, no, no, you can't go suffer and die. Here, Martha, his best friend, is much like the disciples. She gets it all wrong. She doesn't understand what he's come to do. And so he's frustrated, just like he's frustrated constantly with his disciples. He is also deeply disturbed, according to the commentators, because he witnesses face to face the power of death. He witnesses the ravages of cancer, of dementia, of his friend succumbing to the great enemy. Jesus is not simply mourning, right? Because in the next second, he raises Lazarus. Here, Jesus comes face to face with what will overcome him. Only what overcomes him cannot hold him. And we see a sign of that here in this passage, the last of the great signs in the Gospel of John, where Jesus calls out to Lazarus, Come forth, come out, unbind him. And just like that word at the beginning, what God calls for comes about. There's no resisting it. Not even death itself can hold him back. The same word that said, let there be light. Come forth and Lazarus steps out. My friends, the witness of Christianity, regardless of your denomination or your background or where you're from, is a very radical claim. It's that despite the fact that it's the second best option if we're wrong, stoicism is not good news. It's appealing, right? Come to acceptance. And with a lot of life, we have to come to acceptance. In fact, it feels mature, right? It feels way more mature than telling people, you know what, she's in a better place. We don't really know how or why, but, you know, wish fulfillment. This is what Freud's talking about. We in the Christian tradition have maintained that to accept death is to accept injustice. We've heard about this for the past year, right? Become no friend with injustice. To accept the power of death would be to accept the Nazi party. Well, they're in power. We've just got to live with it. To accept the power of death would be to accept all that wages war on you and me and God's creation. So friends, we are called this morning to become no friend of death. 
We are told in the funeral service, in the midst of life, we are in death. But because of the resurrection, in the midst of death, we are in life. So what does it look like to, in the midst of death, be in life? I think it might be very tempting and appealing to leave this place and to think, well, let's change the world. Let's make it all better. Let's do everything in our power and we can make a difference. And there's nothing wrong with making a difference. In fact, it's great to make a difference. It's part of the meaning that we have because we know we'll be resurrected. But really, true resistance to the power of death looks like the ordinary acts that we commit every day. Praying may look weak to the outsider. It might even look weak to you and me at times. But prayer is a sign of resistance. That the power of death does not have the final word. Coming to church is a sign of resistance. When you and I hope in the midst of the despair that's all around, that is a sign of resistance. My friends, the good news of the gospel is that death has been swallowed up in victory. The same word who says, Lazarus, come forth, is the word who says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life, and those who are in me shall not taste death forever. My friends, in a minute we're going to Read the prayer list of those in this congregation and those whom we love who have died. We're going to pray for their family and friends and pray for them. But we're going to pray for them with hope. Not because it's cute. Not because to remember them is for them to live on. As true as that might be, that's not enough. We pray because we believe that we will be resurrected. That we will meet again in Christ. So my friends, the reason why, ultimately over these past four or five weeks, the reason why we've said now is the time to pledge to Calvary St. George's is not first and foremost because we have amazing programming, which I think we have, or that we partner with amazing people, or that we give money away, or this or that, all very good things. I'm so glad we have it. But the reason why you and I give to Calvary St. George's, the reason we make a financial commitment is because we believe that Jesus is alive. That he has conquered death. That stoicism ultimately is not enough. We believe that in his conquering of death that we will ultimately see life. And we want to proclaim that to as many people as possible. So shameless plug, now is the time to pledge. But more importantly, death has been swallowed up. Sin has been defeated. All that wages war upon you and me is being and will be undone. And that is why we get out of bed and come to church and go to work and do what we've got to do. That is why we're going to baptize a child today. Because while that child, William, will experience his fair share of fear 
and dread and you name it. We proclaim to him, that's not the final word. Jesus is alive and you will be too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once again, thanks for tuning in to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. If these podcasts have meant anything to you, we'd encourage you to make a one-time or recurring gift to the parish. Head over to calsaintg.org backslash give to make a donation. Thank you for your generosity and support.